with the the inflation data that's coming out, and and it's really going to be interesting because there's the CPI data, which is the consumer price index, and then there's the uh, PPI data, um, and the the headline inflation data is falling noticeably, but then they have this core inflation data, which is some of the shelter aspects specifically, and they're using this these dated metrics to measure it. So is that data when it comes out, if it comes in favorably, are we going to see rates dip back down? Are we going to see them go up? And does this influence what the Fed does later in the month? I think that the the uptick that we have seen in the past couple of weeks is preemptive with the Fed's raising the the rates again. So I think it, it seems that the trend is the mortgage rates tick up uh, right before the, the Fed's meet again. That's what it's been to me. That's my observation in the past. So I think the rates will be baked in the next raise that the Fed does. Um, I know that the jobs number were, they were, it was a little more dismal. So, and the Fed loves that, you know, they want to get, you know, people not, you know, don't create these new jobs, get people unemployed, get them to stop spending so that the inflation can come down. It's, it's a hideous way to go about, it is. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) It just infuriates me that you want to do harm to people and put them through financial pain to bring down inflation rates. Um, But that's what their main focus was, their main motivation to get that 2% inflation rate. Um, And to do that, it's to really uh, create this pain by increasing these rates. So, you know, it's going to be tougher for credit cards, you know, people who are living on credit cards. It, their payments are going to be higher. They're going to owe more money. It just makes it more difficult all the way around. So, but I think that back to the mortgage rates. I think that uptick from the high sixes into the sevens the past few weeks. Uh, I think one day I saw seven point three. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were at seven and a half at one yeah. point. Oh, I missed that one. I'm glad I missed that one. But the the seven point three. Um, I think it's they're just the you know the lenders are preempting the next rate hike. Yeah, I mean, I hope um, – I, I completely agree with you. Like, I've noticed that trend as well, that they, they go up and then uh, sometimes they trickle back down a little bit or at least after the meeting they're not conti- – they don't, like, suddenly jolt up again. Um, but it is – it's pretty wild, um, the uptick that we've seen in the last couple weeks. Um, yeah, so, I, di- I didn't predict yeah. that one. No. I think we were all wrong. <laughs> Well, there are some predictions out there now, and this is the interesting thing. I mean, Jim Cramer went on uh, CNBC, local guy, um, and he talked about the uh, decision to hold rates steady after 10 consecutive rate heights. And what, what he talks about is that they're talking about like a soft landing versus a hard landing. And there's a third choice out there, which is the plane is still in the air and doesn't have any intention of landing. So um, and, and he points to housing specifically and that that's really kind of the epicenter of inflation. But the, the, the challenge here is that um, when they when they measure housing in relation to inflation, about 30 years ago, there was a debate on how to make it so CPI didn't look that high. And they took homes out of it. And it, it this, this factually happened, according to Jim. I was 11, so I wasn't paying attention. But uh, they took homes out of it. They keep rental rates in. And when you do that, and then they use the, the rental data um, as the sole indicator of shelter inflation, um, it relies on outdated methods of data collection to measure rent growth. So the, the, the challenge is this number, and we've talked about this a couple times with uh, Barry Sternlight. He was mentioning, 
I'm getting real-time data on mortgage, on rents because I have all these multifamily properties and the rents are coming down and we're not seeing that reflected in this CPI data. So it, it's almost like a shell game. I feel like we're playing here and we're not getting the, the real story. So until the, until we, you know, we really see that number come down, I think the Fed's going to keep looking at, I'm going to raise the federal funds rate again and again. I, I, they're talking about two or three more rate heights this year. But then there's predictions from Morningstar, which is a Chicago-based standard. I know you're, you're, you've got a lot of love for Chicago, so that's Go good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they have predictions that we're going to see mortgage rates fall to 4% by 2025 and 5% next year. So this is all over the place. So does this give any certainty to the market? And how do, how do we guide people right now? Because, I mean, you look at all this. It's, it's literally 8% here. Five percent next year. Here, it's it's just it. There, there's not not anyone has. There's not like a clear consensus about what happens next. I mean, maybe you can like factor in the potential of it going to five percent next year. But I think when you start like going beyond that for what it may be, you're. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but like a lot could change between now and then. And using that number, saying like when well, then they're going to be down there, could mm-hmm. maybe make somebody. Um, want to wait for that rate and maybe it doesn't happen and things go the other direction. So I think that you could like potentially calculate in 2024 at this point, but even if it's the end of 2024, that's a year and a half away. Like that's pretty far. Yeah. There's a lot of people who try to time the market and we all know how successful that is. Right. And and we try to guide people. You can't time the market. You just have to get the house. Mm -hmm. Um, So the speculation that it's going to be the interest rates will be into 5% next year, I I don't trust it because for the most part, every time that, you know, what all the predictions, it, it goes sideways. And we don't know. It's an election year. Of course, they're going to say the interest rates are going to be in the 5%, yeah. right? I mean, they, yeah. they have to make a good economy, right? So because... They want everybody to feel secure and, you know, to be happy and have this great economy so that people, you know, just have more sense of security. So that's what I think they're they're that's where I think this information is coming from. It's more geared maybe not towards data, but yeah. towards that kind of uh, I 100 100 percent agree. And I share it with people um, if we're going to see something below five percent, uh, I hope you have another bat in Wuhan ready to start another pandemic. Um <laughs> Because I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at a Rocket Mortgage website right now that says mortgage rates in each decade. And something I talk to clients about, when we see the interest rates dip that low, there's an apocalypse. There's something really bad happening. In the 2008, it was the, it was the, it was the subprime mortgage situation. Uh, and we had the pandemic. At those two places, we saw them dip below five. Otherwise, and again, you could define prosperous in whatever way you want, but the 90s, at least for me, as a teenager, were great. Um, yeah, I'm 10, right there with you. Ten percent, ten percent was the was the where they started in the early '90s, and they ended at 8.06. This is from Rocket Mortgage. 1980s started at 7.48, ended at 9.78. Um, so, I, I I am not an economist, and I cannot say that higher interest rates equates to a bettering economy. But it is the numbers are here. So. When we see the interest rates up there, it's something to to help people understand the clients and the buy process. I don't want your price point to change. I don't want your dreams to die. But let's figure out right now 
with the interest rates perhaps staying where they are for the next few years? What we can afford if we can maybe check off most of those boxes and what you're looking for. Yeah, that is really well, well said. said. Um, and it's you know I, th- there's merits to all these arguments. I mean these guys these these companies aren't coming up with this stuff because a lot of people think the Fed's going to start cutting as soon as inflation's under control. The point is though, even if they wait it, Stacy, right? And they they wait it, and and let's say I, I'm curious how you guys would handle this. Um, and maybe we do some objection handling here before we end the segment. Even if they they did go down to four or five percent. You're still losing out on all that equity you're going to build. And if you're in like a rental situation or you're trying to move up, I mean, there's, there's exponential financial loss here on, on some level. So it really depends what your payment is now and where you're going to. And I think that's the challenge with the lock-in effect of people that have these 3 4% rates. So whichever one of you guys wants to jump in, we've got some very talented agents here. Mr. Buyer says, hey, you know what? I just saw this Morningstar report, and I'm going to wait until 2025 to buy a home when rates are 4% again. How do you handle that so they don't make a bad decision? Well, look at the cost benefit of renting versus owning property, where the where the if we can engage an eight percent equity increase over every year, and then how much is rent going to cost? How much is putting money towards someone else's mortgage going to cost overall? Let's let's make a worst case scenario, like make a nine percent uh, interest rate over the course of X amount of years. Is it still worth it renting? Let's share some costs. Let's do some cost estimates on what your monthly payment is for a mortgage. Worst case scenario, eights or nines. Um, just sharing with them kind of their personal story and how this could benefit them uh, regardless of where the rates are. And also there's not only are we looking at interest rates, but we're looking at the cost of actually getting the house price right. points. So as each home closes, it becomes a comp. And then the next one in the neighborhood goes up a little bit higher, lists for a little bit higher, and we all know it's going to close over asking price. That becomes another comp. So as time passes, the purchase price of homes increases. Mm-hmm. So right now, you probably have a really good situation. A little bit less competition. Mm-hmm. The rates are going to be here. We don't know. We can't speculate into next year. And this is where the purchase price is. So if you get into the home now, you're going to have appreciation into next year and the following year and the following year. So maybe this is your starter home. And then three to five years from now, you get into something else. And if those rates come down, you can refinance or you have more purchase power. Mm -hmm. So you can get into that bigger home. Right. And I mean, the, the rates coming down, like if the, if the rates really, you know, drastically dip down the line, that doesn't mean that you made a dumb decision. That means you, you took advantage of the market by getting the home when you got it and securing the property. And then you can take advantage of reducing your mortgage, like, you know, getting that lower rate by locking into it, which you can only do by having the home, you know? So like you rates going down in the future is not bad news. That's good news. And, um, you know, we also see, um, you know, when rates dipped down low before, You've got a lot of buyers that also come out of the woodwork that are now more competition. So, um, yeah, it's that's kind of where it lands. <laughs> I'm sold. I would have bought houses from most of you guys. So, <laughs> n- nice job there. Um, th- I think the other thing to think about too is, and, and it seems to me it's you know the person that's got the low rate. I get why they're locked in unless they really got to move, right? Like mm-hmm. if. You found out you were having triplets tomorrow and you were in a two-bedroom house. You'd be like, screw it, I'm moving, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of the case for a lot of people. So it comes back to those motivators or, you know, the person that gets engaged or they're 
someone dies or whatever else. They're, they're, the, the people that rent, I think these are the ones that you have. The, I, I, I find that they're the ones that don't want to listen or ha- maybe you're the most difficult. And then the fact is that the, um, the median net worth of U.S. homeowners is 40 times higher than the median net worth of renters. So that, that to me, is it, it's something that can change the trajectory of your family's wealth. And that's what a lot of folks don't get. I mean, real estate, you look at the people that have the highest net worth in the country. Usually they own a ton of real estate, right? So that's, that, that's a pretty big driver there. Uh, and, and I think the way you three handled that was uh, masterful, to say the least. So last thing here before we wrap up is we got this jobs report that came out last week. And the, um, the jobs report showed that unemployment dropped uh, to 3.6%, down from 3.7%. And um, the unemployment rate continues to you know go between that 3.4 to 3.7 range since March of 2022. So despite all these signals about inflation, we're getting really conflicting signals from the job market. So do you think this plays into what the, what the Fed wants to do? Because I get the feeling they just want to drive unemployment up, and it's just not happening right now. And And – for whatever reason, I mean, it, it's very it's a, it's a time of mixed signals. We have this strong economy, but we're going to raise rates anyway to tame, tamp down housing. And it seems like housing is really the target here. That's at least my observation. I think housing's always been the target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, but, you know, and we talked about how they measure the jobs reports anyway. And it seems to be a very small slice. What was it? 60,000 I don't know. It's such a small number. And the way that people are uh, creating income today is much different than it was even five years ago. You know, you have people who do much more different non-traditional jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would call that. But um, there's a lot of that happening online. uh, Side hustles. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But they're becoming their full time gigs. You know what I mean? So there's so many different ways to measure. Maybe those people aren't getting counted. They're actually working. Right. You know what I mean? But they're not in the traditional job market count. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a skewed number. I think it's a flawed number anyway to begin with. But that's our federal that's government. A, that's a great point. I think that's the what, what we want to hear is, I mean, you can make statistics say whatever you want in some cases. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was just going to say. Also, earlier when you were talking about some of the other stats and CPI data and where they like – pull everything from like if you're gonna change how you do it and pick and choose the numbers you can make them say whatever Whatever you want want. (laughs) like happens all the time yeah i i I try to get clients to not overanalyze why things are happening everyone's story is personal and unique Mm -hmm. and to try and say what is your situation are you comfortable perhaps putting an offer in on this property as your job situation, don't worry about anyone else's. Mm-hmm. You know, if they say, hey, there's layoffs in my company. I'm not sure what's happening. Of course you say, well, let's, you know, let's ease up on maybe putting an offer in, but we could still look and keep chatting and yeah. make you feel comfortable. But, um, you know, I come from a world of anxiety and overthinking. So I try. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I, I try real hard to, to, you know, at least share with the clients, hey, Let's let's make this as relaxing as possible. And then your agent will feel the same. <laughs> there is a stat. It's like ninety nine point nine percent of the stuff that you worry about never happens. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if you just tell yourself as your head is exploding yeah. with overthinking, right. then maybe that'll help you bring it down a little bit. Dr. Stacy in the house. <laughs> no, I just I reiterate to some Absolutely. of my family members all the yeah. time. 
Yeah. Well, it's I think it's totally directly related to the the job market and its correlation with the housing market and how the interest rates move in the way that they do. It's all psychology. Right. And people feeling that things need to go a certain way. But in reality, every person has their own story and you try and help them as best as you can. Right. I mean, and almost all of this is out of their control. Correct. So just like look at what you can control. Look at like what are your reasons for potentially wanting to make the move? Can you afford it with, you know, if things go the way they are going? And yes, something always could happen. But like um, just try to like hone it in on that because most of the other stuff like you can worry about it all you want you can't do anything about it mm-hmm. right well it's funny you say that because we uh we were we had a training today and what we'll leave on this is that i think this is how agents can really qualify their their uh their their, their clients to see if they're going to do something or not and how clients can get real with themselves because i think part of it people say they want to move their actions tell you they don't want to move have you ever had anybody have mm-hmm. anyone like this like mm-hmm. so it's what's really someone that's, that's motivated to move. So they got some sort of motivating factor, that life event. That's number one. Secondly, is there is there finances and, and financing or cash or however they're going to do it? Is that in place? That That's number two. Then there's do they know what they want? Like How many people have no idea what they want and they're just aimlessly searching and they don't know what to do? Then do they understand the process is number four. Five is are they engaging and communicating two ways with, with, a, with, a, with a real estate agent? And the last one is are they actually listening to that person and taking their advice? If you don't do those six things, you're probably not that serious about moving. Yeah. And that all this data and all this noise, all that, that stuff's great. You got to make a decision for yourself first. Do you want to do this in spite of all these things happening? And the people that say yes, I think they'll do fine long term. I don't I don't think you're going to lose in real estate ever. It's the short term that they got to worry about and can they make it work? I agree. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. We're going to talk about this Real Trends article about marginal real estate agents harming the industry. And then we're on our third segment. We're going to talk all about Xander Meisner here on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand-new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtool with an e.com. 
Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time and she's Stacey Mitchell. Special guest, amazing team member Xander Meisner is here as well. And we've got Nick behind the camera. We all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. And make sure to subscribe and follow. This article, I, I we've had these conversations before because we've all – has everyone here, anyone ever dealt with like a marginal real estate agent in your dealings? <laughs> has this ever happened to anybody before? Uh, so I'm seeing some yeses. And this article came out. It was on Real Trends. It was on Inman. And it was actually came out – this is from the Consumer Federation of America – and they concluded this in their latest economic report, which I'm pulling up now. I didn't read the report. I just read the article. And they are saying that a glut of inexperienced real estate agents are harming the industry as well as consumers. This is a non-for-profit consumer group. And the report said that there's 1.5 million real estate agents and they're competing to sell between 5 and 6 million homes each year. I mean, those numbers skew every year depending on where you are. And the study looked at home sales in Jacksonville Florida, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and found that marginal agents who completed five or fewer sales grabbed between 25 and 30% of commission income in those individual markets. Now, what they don't tell you is how many of those agents, like how many, what percentage are the people doing five or less sales, which is the majority. So the numbers skew a little differently, but here's the argument, and I want to, I want to get your reaction to this. I was just shocked that this report even came out. So they, they, um, they, 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 this is attributed to the following, um, and, and these are the causes. So there's economic inefficiencies, uh, including an inordinate time spent by agents finding clients, um, relatively low incomes of many full-time agents, frustration by these agents and by many consumers who have to deal with inexperienced agents, um, and then damage to the reputation of the industry. These are kind of the what, what, what the takeaways were from the report. And a large majority of practicing real estate agents have recently received their license or work part-time. And these agents usually charge the same commission rates as experienced full-time agents, which is not really true because the seller sets those rates. And basically, it's, it's just bad for business. What's your take on this? I, I'm just shocked there's a report this detailed that's explaining this because I feel like you could say this about any industry. I, I thought when you said marginal, you meant poor. Until I opened this website, I realized they're defining marginal as not full-time, five sales or less. And when you said that initially, I was thinking, oh, I know a lot of marginal agents that are full-time that sell a lot of homes because of the way they communicate and their maybe borderline unethical practices. Sure. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think five sales or less, I think there are agents who are actually good. They just have not decided to work full-time. Um, and I, I don't know how I feel about that adjective personally, but um, I do think that there is there are a lot of people, regardless of how many sales they've completed, that that 
are um, got to choose my words carefully. Uh, uh, this is being recorded. Harmful to the industry for sure, and I think it's I think it's it's not necessary. It doesn't parallel uh, necessarily the amount of sales. This is my experience. I know a lot of people who sell a lot of homes that I would consider marginal in the way I chat with them on the cooperating side. Um, I think we all yeah. agree with that here. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. But I do think that I, – I do agree that it could put uh, a damp on the reputation of people on the National Association of Realtors. And it could create what I see sometimes, which is a preconceived notion when they meet someone selling homes that you are a – salesy guy mm-hmm. you are trying to embellish the truth to get that commission and at least i know the people i associate with everyone at this table that's not how we operate and it's sometimes an extra hurdle to climb before you get mm-hmm. that relationship with the client which is so imperative uh to continue working with them so um I, I do agree. I just I consider marginal to be more than to, to define that word marginal is more than just the amount of sales or whether they're part time, full time, because because uh, they're all out there. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, totally. Yeah. When you when I had the same thought when you read marginal, like it sounds like it's like a bad agent. You right. Know? Um, but yeah. And what's interesting, too, about, you know, when people get like a they have a bad experience or get a bad taste in their mouth about agents, then that's something that you have to like overcome later. This could even be like a first time home buyer that it's not that they've like successfully completed a sale or that they themselves have even worked with an agent before. Like if somebody has a bad experience for the most part, especially if it's a really bad one, you are telling all your friends and family about it. And so like it could be somebody that's never even been involved in this process before, but they already have the notion of, oh, I don't think so. (laughs) I know what you're doing. (laughs) Well, I think that... um... I mean, it does say included in these bullet points are the last one, damage to the reputation of the industry. So that part of marginal would have to be the incompetence part of marginal. And I think we've all at this table experienced some of that on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, With anything, with sports, with any job that you do, the more you do it, the better you are. That's just that. I'm sorry. That's just Mm -hmm. the nature of it, of everything in life, right? Like when you're a baby and you start to walk, the more you do it, the better you're going to become at it. Mm -hmm. So I do think that being part time could be very, you know, it's you're not hard. You're you're not as aware. Right. Sure. There's things that change in the industry all the time. I mean, updated sellers disclosures. I still see them coming in on the old ones. Right. You know, it's little things like that. Mm -hmm. And some of it is like um, they don't have anybody maybe as a backup because they're a solo agent. So if they go away and something is very important and you can't get a hold of somebody. I had an experience with an agent who had no idea that a UNO was necessary on her listing. And yeah, and she had no conveyancing. She had, you know, so, and she was like, what do you mean? We're like two days before closing. So that's the kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. I think irks everybody um, when sometimes you end up on the other side picking up the responsibility for the other agent. Mm -hmm. And I know we've all been there. Mm -hmm. So, but that's, that's my gripe. That's my beef. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, so th- this isn't the first report to point this out. So, there were, and Xander, you you had I I I loved how you defined this. I think all of us kind of felt the same way when you read the article versus when you see the headline. Which you know we're, we're guilty of clickbait, like consumers when they see the housing market's crashing, which we know it's not. Um, in 2015, NAR commissioned a now famous danger report that detailed 50 threats and challenges that the real estate industry faced, and the number one danger was masses of marginal agents destroy reputation. And the report said. The real estate industry is saddled with a large number of part-time, untrained, unethical, and or incompetent agents. And the knowledge gap threatens the credibility of the industry. And I, I think that's a better definition of marginal because, you know, consumers do this every 11, 12 years, right? That's a marginal chair. <laughs> yeah, that's a marginal chair. I have a marginal chair. <laughs> that's happened to me before. So <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Um, so... <laughs> The, the the infamous chair that lowers on its own. Um, so, the, the, you know, the, Aunt Xander, you said it uh, perfectly right. Hey, I've been doing this 30 years. This is the right way to do it. Well, you might want to read the contract. I mean, I get agreements of sale. We've all seen them where it looks like they're not even filled in properly from people that have been doing this for years or they don't know what the agreement says. So th- this is a challenge, and it's not just real estate. Um, my, my, I was having this conversation with my financial advisor the other day. They have an 83% failure rate. Okay, great. We beat them by 4%. Like it's not, I mean, when you think about these large financial decisions and what happens and, and people think it's a sexy, fun job, then you get in there and see it's actually like hard work, and there's a reason why you, you see that kind of failure rate. It gets a little tricky. So, you know, it, to me, this is, I, I think it's good to shine a light on it. So how do you combat this when you're interviewing for business? Because I don't know about you guys. I've lost business to a marginal agent, and it really ticks me off. I don't know how you feel about this. It's happened to me. And I've gotten pretty upfront about it where I I suggest the clients, hey, why don't you Google the agent you're working with? Hey, here's their sales record compared to our teams. Here's their Zillow profile compared to our teams. Is this really who you want to hire? Or if they're part-time hey would you hire a part-time doctor to perform surgery on you i mean i've gotten pretty i wouldn't say aggressive but direct with the way to compare this because you're talking about millions of dollars sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars but more importantly a large portion of that person's financial net worth their nest egg whatever you want to call it how do you combat that in the field because that that's really the there's no question there's a lot of bad agents out there and it is amazing how some of them do a ton of business and like nobody caught on yet, even though they have bad reviews and you see that stuff. (laughs) Personally, I would help them as best as you can. I I'm new still under a year in. And I think what's most importantly is sharing anecdotal evidence of your successes, uh, helping them out by explaining a situation you've been in that empathizes with, where they're at. I find that resume is fine, but putting a resume in a client's face, especially for me, I feel like can only go uh, awry. So my game plan is really to share with them the stories of their situation so they feel comfortable and they feel entrusted. I have won clients simply by looking them in the eye, telling them the truth, telling them, I know the position you're in. I understand the position you're in. We are going to see homes that meet exactly what you're, what you want. And if not, I will adjust accordingly. Um, and I will share you a few stories if necessary of marginal agents that you could (laughs) potentially be working with circling back. Um, (laughs) 
So that that for me is what's working right now. I mean, my 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 resume is is small, so all I have is. I, I disagree with that, by the way. But we can get into that in the next segment. But I but I mean, you know, all you can do is say I'm here to help. I'm not going to do anything but steer you in the right direction. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you how I've done this before. Hopefully, you can believe me. And if you don't, I I understand. We live in a very untrusting world right now for both good and uh, or valid and invalid reasons. So all you can do is try and be as honest as you can and be as proficient as Stacy was saying and speaking as if you've been around and you've done these things unlike someone who does five sales a year. Well, I think building trust is number one out of the gate. So, you know, when you're starting a new relationship with a potential client, uh, the way that you deal with them right out of the gate is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Did you say you were going to call them and you didn't? Yeah. You get a yeah. big buzz, you know, where's the, the, um, <laughs> when you know, set up an appointment with them, did you confirm the appointment? You know, did you show up on time? Did you show up looking the part? You know what I mean? You ha- and, and did you come prepared with all the data and you're going to lay it out and spell it out and answer every single one of their questions and provide solutions, you know, provide solutions to the problems that everybody, it's a big, big undertaking to sell and buy a house. So what are their main concerns? What's their problems? Do you have solutions to those problems? And then again, it's how you follow up with them afterwards. So I think it's just all, you know, you have to instill trust. Uh, you have to come across like you you care and you genuinely care. And that's one of the reasons why I got in this business. I love it. And I love helping people get to that next level. So, and that comes across. People can tell. I yeah. mean, we've all had salesy people come in and, you know, they don't really care about you. They just want the, some kind of deal. Right. Um, so I think that really goes a long way. It, are you a genuine person? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that sometimes the, in the short run, um, you know, maybe the salesy person or the person that doesn't really care, they probably will get some clients and they will get some deals under their belt. But if you plan on being in this industry long term, like that's it's going to come out in the end, the type of agent that you are. Yep. I think it's a really everything you guys said is spot on. And, it you know, sometimes the people that there's some people out there that they don't care what the agents like. They just want they want certain things and they may want someone that's going to you know, maybe rebate the commission to them or, or use a limited, and, and they're going to, I see you nodding your head because it, 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 they don't, they don't care what the service is like. They're willing to deal with all the bad things and they're probably going to lose out in the end. I've got many anecdotal evidences, uh, uh, mm-hmm. anecdotal stories, case studies, whatever you want to call them about that, that we can get into another time. But it, it, they, they, you know, you're like saving pennies and losing dollars is, is kind of what happens. So, you know, on that note, I think it's, if you're an, if you're a consumer listening right now, ask them, for the resume, ask for reviews, like, like go that extra step to vet these people. Don't just work with the first person you met and you, and you like them. And if you're an agent that struggles with this, work on your pitch, work on how you're meeting people. Like you said, show up the right way, practice the appointment, because it's not just learning the appointment the first time. It's making it better and better and better. And it gets a little better each time. We've all had conversations about this and it's, you know, I'm, I'm if you're not getting better, you're going backwards. So these marginal agents, they're going to come and go. I've been here a very long time doing this, and that's just the way the industry is. So 
Great article by Real Trends. I'm, I'm still surprised it was a study like that. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk all about Xander Meisner, who has been lighting the industry on fire. We're super grateful to have him come on. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. Mortgage America is when you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents, and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals, and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX main line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's Tom, tool with an E, dot com. Sell your home for more, and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and she's Stacey Mitchell. And we have super agent, our good friend and teammate, Xander Meisner here. And we're going to get into everything he's been doing in a second. Uh, if you want to watch us uh, every week, we're streaming live on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group, follow and like. So, Xander. You've been lighting the industry on fire in my view. This, this, this guy comes in and says, well, I'm, I'm still new. You have I actually calculated these numbers. Oh, I'm getting a little bump there. I calculated your numbers based on the average amount of homes that agents were selling last year, which will go down this year. That's the equivalent of five years of experience in less than 12 months. So give yourself some credit here, number one. That's why I said I disagree with your experience level. But before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you were doing before real estate, what brought you down to the area, and then why you wanted to get into real estate in the first place? Um, well, thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. Of course, it. man. Um, this is—I've seen all of this on Instagram and 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 Facebook, so it's really neat to see to be here in person. It's a little little starstruck, guys. So oh thanks for having me. Um, uh, so <laughs> thanks for having me on. Uh, I this is um, essentially my third major career chapter. Um, the first I was trained as a actor and singer, uh, moved to New York right after Indiana University, 
um, and I did a lot of theater. I did several touring shows, toured the country several times over in Canada and Japan, um, did a lot of big Broadway musicals, um, did a lot of teaching on the side, and then 2015, 2016, I started to, you know, want something a little bit more simpler and a little bit more stable. Um, got a graduate degree in teaching. I uh, started teaching music in public schools. This was just before COVID. Doc, Dr. Pepper. Um, this was just before COVID. And uh, and so the, the climate was also very tempestuous and... Um, Education was both fulfilling but also very, very challenging. Um, and my wife and I were in Westchester County, New York, just north of the Bronx. And she was leaving her acting career and becoming a nurse. And I was teaching and thinking to myself, I don't need necessarily to do this. Um, she didn't need to be in New York. We had family in Chester County and Paoli and Phoenixville. So we decided to uproot. I got a teaching job in Pennsylvania at a private school in Bryn Marsh. I won't mention the name. And I respectfully declined uh, to give a go at what my parents did. Uh, my mom was a pharmaceutical sales representative and my dad sold insurance. So I had been kind of avoiding sales for a long time. And uh, I'd al always been selling myself in some capacity in auditions and in interviews and all that jazz. So I decided to get my license and uh, pursue real estate. I always loved homes. I always loved, um, you know, the various facets of home ownership and, and helping people with that. Um, so that's the long and short of it regarding diving into real estate. Um, Tom was nearby, uh, living in Malvern and the office being in Westchester. Uh, I saw his information on the website that kind of helped me transition into sales and, uh, it's been go, go, go ever since. What I love about that is is your story is pretty similar to most people's when they, when they get into real estate. Where And, and teaching, I mean, to me, is, is almost a direct correlation because you're helping people, yeah. right? And teaching, I think, is way harder, and you make a lot less money than you do selling real estate. And then you're also acting, which is also kind of – you're not acting in this job, but there's a performance aspect to it, and the people that really get that – understand it and most folks they they transition into real estate after something else so that, that that's really cool to hear um so so what you mentioned your parents have like a sales background so what, what got you excited about real estate like well, i mean I, I know i've asked you this before the first time we met what what really attracted you to the industry um i was excited about um the kind of limitless opportunity you know, what you put into it, you'll get, which I have not always seen in other other industries. Um, being able to use your people skills as the primary source of income, like the direct. I, I've always liked being on the phone. I've always liked talking to people um, more so than most of my friends who are the <laughs> religious texters. I got your call. Uh, what's up? Well, I called you to speak with you, not to text you. Um <laughs> And and that personality trait, I think, holds me very well with real estate, where you want to be talking to people. You want to talk through things. You want to listen. You want to educate. Um, and houses are awesome. I mean, there's really no other way to describe them. They're, there's so much involved, so much market to navigate, so much to communicate. And then once I gained experience, and I'm not saying my resume was blank, but we, we know you weren't. We're just but, giving you more credit yeah, than you're sure. giving yourself. And then 
months into that, when I finally had uh, uh, something to speak of as a realtor, that only made it better. That only made it more uh, – it made it easier and it made the the pitch, as you described it, uh, more fluid and attractive and – and it's that's showing as well in my career as well. No, no doubt. So, I mean, I, I totally get where you're coming from on on what gets you excited about it. And I think it's you said something there, and, and this always mystifies me. Some agents are like, I don't like making phone calls. Well, you're probably in the wrong business where you're saying you want to interact with people. That's what that's what consumers want. So you're giving them what they want in a way that's like super friendly. I mean, obviously, we've gotten to know each other pretty well, and it's you've got that kind of charisma and it factor that that I think is important to to that. So. How like how how's it been going? I mean, like, tell us like how, how you're. Is it what you thought it was going to be? Um, what what do you like the most about the job? What what gets you what gets you the most excited about it? Because you, you got to wake up ready to work in this business. It can't be like I'm going to mail it in today. Where other jobs are kind of like that sometimes. I've I've enjoyed uh, the friends I've made. Truly, I've actually uh, gone out with a few clients, um, and that's been really great. That they have enjoyed the experience of the home buying process that we've you know, we're able to share an IPA together. Um, I've really enjoyed that collegiality with many of the clients, obviously not all your clients you're going to get beers with, but, (laughs) but the fact that I can use those relationships, that doesn't sound right, that I could, um, that I could facilitate those relationships to become, um, the friendly neighborhood guy, uh, which is something I love being, um, that excites me. Did I answer your question? <laughs> it's your answer, not mine. Um, so, yeah. I think I think that answered your question. I think it's, it's your answer, not mine. Ladies, you got any questions for Xander? I got a few more, but I'm, I don't want to dominate the uh, interview here. What are you doing here is a fine question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Is it everything? <laughs> that, what were your expectations getting into this type of business and is it did it meet or exceed your expectations? Yeah, this was a, as as many other career opportunities things. It was a trial when I started last year. Um, I don't know. I am still a certified teacher in the state of Pennsylvania, um, and I obviously still have my degree. So you know, it's not like I want to fall back on it. It was just that I want to see how this goes because it's kind of in my blood. The ability to communicate to work in sales effectively, efficiently, and with integrity. Um, so it is what I expected. My goal, simply put, I'm a, yeah, I could tell the whole world this. I My goal was to make as much as I did as a teacher year one, which in New York State wasn't bad. Um, I worked in suburban school districts. Uh, so I was my goal was, and not necessarily I would have hung up my hat, but my goal was to make as much as I did as a teacher, and I exceeded that. So that was... That was really cool and something I didn't expect. I was like, this goal is this goal is crazy. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. The first thing, you know, let's this get this my first sale was very rocky. So I was like, if they're all like this, um, it's gonna it's gonna be hurtful. And it, they weren't. So um it's gone well. I'm glad it's it's gone as well as it could. Uh probably everyone at this table knows I am uh I'm still navigating the the personal, the rest, the R&R, and balancing that with with making your clients feel satisfied and taken care of. I feel like everyone, 
you know, I always I always applaud Tom with his three kids and his personal life and how he's able to, you know, wrestle a baby with one hand and Slack, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> selfie. My youngest is six, so it's not a baby. I mean, well, I, I, but it's, well, I'm five years ago. You had that. Yes, that, that is true. Good so, point. Good so, point. So, so I. I am figuring out how to do this. I had a really successful experience finally helping a teammate take a load of my of my clients, making them feel safe, secure, uh, someone who was under contract. They successfully made it to the table. It means we're getting played <laughs> off. I'm being played off. <laughs> how, how it's it going is. well. Thank you, Tom. You got it. So you want to follow Xander. Xander. He's at Xander Meisner on Instagram. You can follow Stacy. She's at the number two Mitchko. You can follow Sarah at Ty underscore Ty Time. You can follow me at Tom Tool 3RD. We're streaming live every week. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Xander, thanks for coming on, man. Very, very grateful for you, just as we are with Sarah and Stacy. but they're here every week, so we're going to make a big deal about you. <laughs> and uh, we're live every Tuesday, 3 o'clock, on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.